The scripture reading today is Hebrews 1, 1 1-4. Please turn in your Bibles with me. Again, that's Hebrews 1, 1-4. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Holy Trinity downtown and all who are gathering with us. And uh, thank you for that great scripture reading, Josh. And trust that everyone had a a wonderful Thanksgiving, although I'm sure if your Thanksgiving was anything like mine, it was very different from all Thanksgivings for the past that we have had. My mom emailed our family, my seven brothers and sisters, on Wednesday and said this is the first time in her more than 50 years of marriage that she and my dad were celebrating Thanksgiving by themselves. And we had a a virtual kind of phone call that we had on Friday, but yes, very sad. My daughter and I were reflecting, Julie and I were reflecting on how much uh, COVID and how much this pandemic has changed, even something as simple as holiday gatherings, as coming together to be with uh, our family. I think we've entered that stage maybe of what I would call in COVID of kind of numb perseverance. Perseverance because we have to push through the moment that we're in, but also almost a kind of numbness or some of us have at the moment of like, okay, just more news or another controversy or uh, there, there's a sense in which we're, we're kind of desensitized to what is happening. And uh, I want to look at the text with you today. We're entering a new Christmas series, a new Advent series called God Sent His Son. And uh, if there's a need for perseverance in our day and age, there certainly was a need for perseverance in the age of the Hebrew, uh, the author, the day that the author is writing to um, the people in this passage in the book of Hebrews. And you can find the context best. You can think of it this way. If you were a Jew living in, say, 64 AD and experiencing a, a, a very intense kind of persecution from Nero or from one of the uh, other Roman emperors, And what the author says in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews is that they have endured a struggle with with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed. They've they've had compassion on those in prison. They've joyfully, listen to this, joyfully accepted the plundering of your own property since you know that you yourselves have a better possession and an abiding one. And then here's the phrase I want you to hear. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what has been promised. And so I want to call you to perseverance in this season that we are in, despite the confusion of it and the chaos of it and the hardship of it. 
When you think of the biblical context of Christmas, I wonder what you think about most clearly. Do you think about Mary full with child, trudging and pacing towards Bethlehem with Joseph trying to comfort her and aid her? Do you think about her anxiety of not knowing where they might put their heads down to rest that night and being finding that there's no place for that that would really take them in? Do you think of the angels that came and exploded with the with their praise and with God's glory to the shepherds? Do you think of the promises that were given for ages about the savior that would be that would come? Do you think of uh, perhaps the Magnificat of Mary. What is it that you think about? about? Well, th- th- over the next four weeks, we want to focus just on one very simple phrase, which is God sent his son. That's what we want to think about. And what I want you to be thinking about, especially this week, is one idea, which is that God sent his son as the new language of Christmas. God sent his son as the new language of Christmas. And I'm going to ask you if you'll bow with me and pray. Our Father in heaven, we greet you this morning and we ask for your blessing as we open your word. We pray that as we try to meditate upon the manger and upon the incarnation of Christ, that you would fill our hearts and minds with new thoughts of Christmas, with new understandings of who the person of Jesus Christ is. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. I'm not sure if you're one of those people who in high school or college enjoyed the languages. If you took perhaps Spanish, which is very useful in the United States and around the world, or if you took perhaps Mandarin or Cantonese or Arabic or French or German. I remember my brother taking German and we had both learned German in kindergarten and having gone to school in Switzerland. So trying to speak to one another in German. And there's something exciting about languages, language acquisition, when you begin to learn it, that you are stumbling at first. And yet there comes a moment in which you begin to put the phrases or the words together and you realize you are actually communicating with someone across another culture, stumbling perhaps, it may be. And certainly there are many mistakes that we make in acquiring new languages. Over the holidays, our family pulled out some of our family videos to watch, uh, a way to kind of relax and enjoy now stored on DVDs. And I was struck by the precious manner in which young children, two years old or three years old, the way that the words are formed so lispingly, so sort of unable at first, and how the community around them is teaching them the words so that they are formed on their lips, kind of articulating the building blocks of language. What does the dog say? What does the cat say? We're watching them for the first time begin to speak and say, dad, dad, or mama. Think about the exquisite power that humanity has in being able to communicate with one another. Yes, we do have a dog and every night our dog, Sawyer, beautiful golden retriever will sit on his haunches and suddenly his ears will become erect. We give him a a, a treat in what's called a Kong, a little bit of peanut butter in this Kong. 
uh, almost on a nightly basis. And he knows when that time is about to come. And so he will sit and lock eyes earnestly with Amy or with me or with whoever else is home, trying to persuade us, trying to send signals almost to, to ask us to please give him this treat. And I'm struck by how silent he is and how He's how unable he is to communicate. The central claim of the text that we're gonna look at today is that there was a momentous occurrence in history, in the history of the world, in which God intentionally learned a new language. It was not Cantonese, it was not the language of Ibu or Hausa or Arabic or Welsh. After speaking for many centuries, for many generations, after speaking all things into creation, after giving the law to Moses at Mount Sinai, after speaking through the prophets, through Isaiah and through Jeremiah and through Micah and Habakkuk, through Deborah and others, after filling King David with the songs that became the songbook of the church after giving dreams to people like Nebuchadnezzar and to Joseph, after sending the angel Gabriel to Mary and filling Mary's heart with what we now call her Magnificat. After all of these ways of speaking throughout time in many ways, God took up a new form of elocution. He conjugated his thoughts into human flesh. He composed the grammar of fingertips and toes and eyes. His new vocabulary was humanity, or more precisely, his new vocabulary was one particular infant whose name is Jesus. My friends, Behold the infant on this day, beneath the starry sky in the manger, who God arrests our attention with not merely a new human language, but with the language of humanity. Not of Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek, but with three-dimensional humanity. At Christmas, on that very first day of Christmas, words had so failed God that he invented a new language that he had always intended to speak by. Since words were no longer sufficient for with the love with which he wanted to communicate to us, he spoke a new language in order to reveal himself more fully. Look at the text, verse one, long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Yes, Elijah, yes, Jeremiah, yes, Isaiah, yes, Malachi. The opening is very poetic in the Greek. It's palumeros kai palutropos many ways and many times, but in these last days, hear this now, he has spoken to us by his son, or literally the translation more accurately would remove those four words to us by his and instead say in. 
In other words, in these last days, he has simply spoken in son, <laughs> as if it is a new language. Son is the new language of God. Savior is the new language of God. Infant is the new language of God. As we sang before, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Jesus is the long expected language of Jesus. You see what's happening in this verse is that there is now a transition in God's revelation. God had spoken many ways prior to Jesus. And then after Jesus, Jesus becomes the primary way that God speaks. And what we find in the scriptures is that all symbols of the Old Testament, all the giving of the law, all of the prophets were in actuality pointing to this one new language with which God would speak, which is the language of son. En huyo, in the son. He spoke in son as if he was speaking Swahili or Spanish, but is actually speaking in sonship. This is the turning point of all history. This is why we write our checks the way that we do. Anna Domini, as if to say, this is the year of our Lord. You might be frank, you might be uh, familiar with Francis Collins, who was the director of the Human Genome Project. He uh, became the second director of the National Center for Human Genome Research in April 1993. And as the director, of the Human Genome Project, Collins oversaw a 15-year endeavor to completely map and sequence human DNA by 2005. And uh, many scientists and medical researchers consider this project the most important scientific undertaking of our time. This man is a follower of Jesus Christ, and so at one point he wrote a book called the language of God. You see, friends, God had determined to launch an effort to map in his son all that he wanted to speak to us. You could say in one sense that God was tired of giving us the law and having it be broken. He was tired of having us reject all of his prophets. And so God said, looking down from heaven, let me see if I can speak with a language that is a little closer to home. And so he spoke, son, you see, when our ears were stopped up and refused to hear, when the ears of humanity said, let us no longer listen to his law, he said, let me try a new language, the language of grace, the language of forgiveness, the language of incarnation, the language of the Son. No other God, friends, has ever attempted such an experiment. Why would God speak to us in his Son and through his Son? Because he loves us. Because he wants to reveal himself to us. Because he wants to know us so that we might understand him better and grasp his character. So friends, as you draw near to the manger this Christmas, as you remember the clouds above 
opening with the praise of the angels. May we rejoice in the new language of God's revelation of God's Son. Oh, that this language would spread across our city, this language of God's love, this language of the Son. But why would God speak to us in his Son? Why would he choose this new Christmas language? Who is this Jesus who is in the manger? God chooses this new language of Christmas because while human language communicates and speaks words, the language of humanity communicates so much more fully. Imagine for a moment if all you could do was text people and you couldn't see them face to face. Not hard to imagine with this moment that we're in. Imagine if you could only see people one dimensionally or two dimensionally. I remember a few weeks ago when we had our communion service outside and it was really the first time that I'd been around people for months and months and months. I, I, I was struck simply by how three dimensional they were. We are. The language of the author in this text now spills over with the rationale for God speaking in the language of humanity. And I'm just going to give you three very brief reasons for why God speaks through the language of son. The very first one is that the son, God uses the language of Christmas to speak Son, because of the glory that is revealed in the Son. This is verses, the second half of verse two and then the beginning of verse three, that God sent his Son as the new language of revelation so that we might fully understand who God is. Or more precisely, God sent Jesus as his heir and his radiance and his creator and the exact imprint of his being. Look at verse two, the second half. But in these days, he has spoken in son whom he appointed as the heir of all things through whom he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by his power. This child in the manger is God's heir. God had said, had said to the son, all is yours and the language of the son reveals this he's the creator this child in the manger the second person of the trinity is the creator himself as the puritan john dunn wrote immensity cloistered in mary's womb she becomes the maker of her maker it's astounding we can't even think about we can't even comprehend the depth of that think of uh this next phrase and let your mind rest on it. It says that he, that Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. You see all of the other previous publications about who God was, all of the previous imprints from the law were not nearly as powerful and three-dimensional as the one who came in the flesh and was incarnate with his glory. This is so similar to the Gospel of John where it says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then speaks of us seeing His glory. The idea of the exact imprint of His nature comes from a word that literally means to, to print something or to, to shape something. Think of uh, a brand being printed on leather or a, a book being imprinted as belonging to someone. 
After centuries at a distance, God came near with the same kind of joy that we will have when we are able to see one another face to face. I was I mentioned that we were watching these home videos the other day and uh, a, a new word had come into our own language as a family many, many years ago. And uh, we watched this video and happened upon this moment in which it occurred. I think uh, our oldest Two children were three and two at the time, and we were going to look at a Christmas tree that we had put up in our home, and the Christmas tree was adjacent to my office, which had windows on it, and uh, I was asking our two oldest children about, the where's the Christmas tree? Can you show it to me? I had one of those big old clunky uh, um, video recorders that had a kind of grainy, feel to it. Anyway, our oldest child said uh, the Christmas tree was here. And then I said, what about that in the window there? Is that another Christmas tree? How many Christmas trees are there? And he was a momentarily perplexed and then said, no, 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 no. That is just a reflection. That was his word, reflection of the Christmas tree. And that word has now come into our family whenever we use the word reflection. We remember that word but it is a picture of what's happening here. You could describe in words what a Christmas tree looks like. You can describe in words what the glory of God might look like. You could describe with words what it might look like to see the exact reflection of who God is. And yet it is another thing for the apostles to behold him. And that's why John writes in 1 John saying, we touched him, we spoke to him, we beheld him, this one who is the life. And so why does God speak in this new language to more fully reveal his glory, to show Jesus as the exact representation, the exact reflection of who God is? There's a second reason besides glory. The first is, yes, God speaks the new language at Christmas of the Son in order to reveal his glory, but he also speaks the new language at Christmas of his Son in order to reveal his destiny, his goodness, and what he is going to do. Not just to reveal his own character, but also to reveal the accomplishments of the Son. If verses uh, one to the second half of verse two refer to the glory of God's son, verse three, the second half refers to the finished work of God's son, that God sent his son to finish a specific work. So what's the specific work? Well, this is the glory of Christian faith. What is the work that the son was sent to do as he lay in the manger, as Mary and Joseph trod towards Bethlehem? What was the mission that the son was sent to do? Verse three, the second half puts it this way, purification for sins. Three words to indicate the life and mission of Jesus, its overarching arc, the purification of sins. Listen to this. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Sat down emphasizes the finality of what Jesus has done. This is the work 
This is the word of the mother who says, don't you sit down until your work is done. You see the phrase there looks from the manger to the throne. It looks from the manger to the cross and then to the throne. And what the author of Hebrews is doing throughout the book of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is far greater than Moses or the angels or the law or the high priest. He's different from the high priests of old. He's better. Listen to Hebrews 10 verse 11, which is a climactic verse. It says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time forward until his enemies should become a footstool for his feet. You see, he had accomplished the work that he came to do. Listen, to Hebrews 10, 14, for by a single offering, he perfected for all time all those who are being sanctified. That means every hard-hearted thought that you and I have had all of our lives, every hidden sin, wiped away, purified once for all the futility of the high priest offering over and over and over again, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, and then Jesus sits down at the right hand of the majesty of God. You and I need a purification because God is a holy God and all of the Old Testament is moving towards this moment of Jesus sitting down at the right hand of God. You see, a farmer doesn't sit down until his work is done. He works. The cows need to be milked. The horses need to be shod. The pigs need to be slopped. And at the end of a long day, only at the end of a long day, after the work, at least that day's work is done, he will sit down. And no soldier can sit down while a battle is still raging or until night has come and the fire has stopped, has begun to cease. Jesus works harder than the farmer, works harder than the soldier, and then he sits down. You see, God spoke a new language that said one day sin's sting could be swallowed or that rebellion could be forgiven once for all. Again, listen to the, the words of the hymn that we sang a moment ago. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, he takes the throne, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. This Christmas, HTC, as we come to the manger, let's also remember the throne. See, Jesus the priest took care of your sins once for all and then he sat down. Isn't that glorious, friends? Why this new language at Christmas? To show his glory, but also to show the finality of what he would accomplish. And then finally, to show Jesus's superiority in all things, including his superiority over the angels. The culture that the author of Hebrews is writing to would have had a very high regard for angels. 
and without diminishing the glory of the angels throughout the scriptures, what the author is now doing is saying, as glorious as they are, the glory of Jesus is greater. Friends, picture Daniel in his book writing about angels in, in uh, chapter 7 or in Revelation or in Luke. What are the angels doing? They are not receiving glory or adulation. They are giving glory and giving adulation to someone. God sent his son. This is the third reason why he sent his son is the new language to show the superiority of the son over all things. Verse 4, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Think of it. Every parent, every person who has to name a child struggles for some period before and sometimes even after to decide what the exact perfect name for a child would be. And Jesus is really the only child ever who has already given names before he was born. This is why his name is so much greater with Handel's Messiah in the background. Think of Isaiah chapter nine, where it says, and his name, come on, shall be called wonderful counselor. This is 700 years before Jesus is born. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Those names were given. The angels are called Gabriel or Michael, but Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is the Redeemer. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the High Priest. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the Sustainer. He is the Heir. He is holy, holy, holy. He is Israel's strength and consolation. He is the Rod of Jesse. God didn't just speak German or Hebrew or Greek or Tagalog or Cantonese or Italian. He spoke human. And then to show how great Jesus was, that he was greater than all, he gave him what Philippians says is the name that is above every name that at the knee, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. He spoke human. God spoke son to reveal his glory, to accomplish his redemption and to magnify his name. So Holy Trinity Church, this Christmas, let's not just listen to the language of Christmas. Let's Speak the language of Christmas, which is the language of joy. You see, Jesus comes into the world and he is the language of God so that all creation might then reflect back to God, the language of God, as we're going to sing in just a moment here. Praise the Lord, ye heavens adore him. Who should praise him? Praise him, angels in the height. Sun and moon rejoice before him. Praise him, all the stars of light. He is at the very center. All creation join the song of praise. Let every tongue declare his mighty ways. Holy Trinity, this Christmas, may we use our language to exalt the language of God in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ in a manger, Christ in a manger is God's language. Christ in a manger is God's glory. Christ in a manger is God's finished 
work, friends. He has finished the work for you, and he is now sitting down. Christ in a manger, he is superior. God sent his son as the new, glorious, sin-defeating, redemption-accomplishing son of God whose name is above every name. Happy First Advent, Holy Trinity Church. May you use your language to to praise God's supreme language. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this text, which turns a new look at what happened in the incarnation and why you had to speak a new language because the written words would no longer carry forth with fullness who you were. So we thank you that Jesus walked on this earth, that he was born, that he spoke the words of the kingdom of God, that he was crucified on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that today, because Christmas has come, because Easter has come, we have the purifying presence of Christ within us. We give you great thanks for this. In Christ's name, amen.